Good day, good day, Doc Spacers. You're listening to the Doc Space Startup School Podcast. Starting a medical practice in 2019 may seem like a dinosaur of an idea, but with the advancements of technology and the remote flexibility of care management, it's never been easier. Hi, I'm Dr. Mario Amaro. I'm a United States Navy veteran, a medical physician, and a health tech founder on a new mission to help clinicians rediscover their autonomy and bring back private medical practice. DocSpace Startup School is a virtual course that's built and designed to help clinicians navigate the medical practice formation process. In this podcast, we will interview some of the industry's leading experts in health law, design, marketing, finance, and tons of other exciting topics to help you better prepare to start and manage a successful medical practice. Welcome to the DocSpace crew. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Evan Niars. He was the co-founder and financial officer at Waiter, a food delivery application that went IPO in 2018. Evan helped scale Waiter's finance and business model from the ground up, taking him all the way to the NASDAQ. Today at DocSpace Startup School, he will help us review how to set up a pro forma, discuss the different types of business plans, how to create the best subscription or pricing model for your medical practice. Hey, everybody. Um, yep, I, I helped found a company called Waiter uh, in the food delivery space back in 2013. Um, we spent about the last five years growing the company. And in November of 2018, we took the company public on the NASDAQ. Um, I had a lot of different roles at the company, um, everything from you know, operations to a lot of analytics and mostly uh, spent my time on the finance um, side of things. So I, I helped a lot with building our financial forecasts or pro forma um, with some of the money, uh, money raising, as well as going through the process for actually going public. So um, hopefully I'll be able to help answer any questions or um, at least provide some guidance for you as you're launching your own practice or learning how to do that. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, I felt it was really important to try to, try to think about this from a different uh, perspective, especially with someone who was handling a bigger budget. You know, uh, quite often when doctors start their practice, they're giving sometimes if they take out loans or giving a bigger budgets that they normally don't know how to manage. And so it's really hard to determine where should I spend my money? How should I spend my money? And, and how is this going to impact a return? You know, so um, that's that's really where we're looking at. And I feel there is something missing there. And so if you can at least start off giving us a good overview, what exactly is a pro forma? Yeah, so a pro forma is generally a forward-looking statement. So it's a, the, the easier way to think about it is a financial forecast. So you're trying to predict into the future. If you do all these things, all these different inputs, how much you spend on marketing, how much you um, spend on capital expenditure, which is like buying um, assets like furniture and, and equipment, um, what, is, what is the business going to look like from a financial point of view? Uh, in the future. So this is super helpful when you're making decisions because you'll be able to plug certain variables into your model and then you'll be able to understand, you know, what are the impacts it's going to have on profitability, um, on cash flow. So do you need to raise more money by taking out a bigger loan or something um, if you're going to run low on cash one month? And it's really designed to help you make better decisions and then also uh, be able to explain to you know, potential um, investors or uh, people who want to give you a loan um, why they should trust you with their money. 
um, and, and that you have a plan to pay it back and that you're thinking about things in a, from a financial perspective um, and you're not going to get caught off guard by something. And so every business should have a pro forma and there's um, everything from very simple, you know, one tab spreadsheet pro formas to, um, you know, hundreds of tabs in Excel or Google Sheets and uh, being able to at least interpret a pro, pro forma or, and um, manage one is going to be a very important skill for anybody who's going into business. Yeah, good information. Exactly. Especially when you're looking at how am I going to spend this money? And again, talking about when I first uh, mentioned was how is this going to impact a return? Because if you do take out that loan, there is some payment that has to be made. Right. right? And if the money's not coming in because you didn't properly forecast it, it could, you know, affect your business. And if not, sometimes even your personal credit, depending on how you set it up. So, you, you know, you, you have to be really protective and be aware of those finances. Um, do you mind explaining a little bit on the difference between a three-year and a five-year pro, pro forma and why, you know, there's a variance in the two? Yeah. So the, the truth is the three years versus five years is, um, you know, it, it's really de- comes down to who you're trying to convince to either invest in you or, um, or to join your practice or whatever. Um, so some people just prefer five, to be able to look out five years versus three years. My suggestion is create a pro forma for five years, and then you can always scale it back to three years. Um, but the truth is anytime you're predicting something out even one year in the future, it's, it's almost impossible. So uh, even like in a, a public company setting um, where you have lots of analysts and finance people running around trying to make things as um, predictable as possible, they still miss the mark all the time. Nobody gets it right. Um, so um, truth be told, a three-year performance is probably as good as a five-year um, just because once you get out to years four and five, um, it, it's just so hard to predict. But some people want to see five. So I would say start out with five with the expectation that it's not going to be accurate. So nothing you do, nobody can predict the future. So just be aware of that and, and make sure that if you're talking to other people about your business, that you you make it very clear to them that, you know, this is your best guess at, at, at what could happen, but you're, you know, nobody can can be 100% accurate. But the the real value for when you're explaining it to other people is to prove to them that you've thought out what are the future costs, what are the future revenues, um, what expenses might we run into. So you're not flying blind um, into the future. You at least have a plan. And then you can also use the, the pro forma um, to create your budgets um, for the, you know, let's say you want to look at your budget for next month. You can use your, your five-year pro forma just a section of it for for next month and build off of that and that way you you can at least understand what your costs will be and the closer the time period is so predicting next month is a lot easier than predicting five years from next month the key is try to be as accurate as possible um, and then but don't rely on it for the long term you can't you can't count on being accurate for the long term but you you should be able to be fairly accurate in the short term and there's lots of ways to to build in accuracy um, and we can go over those if you want. Yeah, no, we definitely uh, will. Uh, so I often compare starting a medical practice to starting a tech startup, you know, because there's a lot of similarities there. And one of the things that is important is what are you actually input, like the, the data, what inputs are you including in the fields for your pro forma? Like, you know, for someone in the tech space, right? If you get a building space, that's, 
your rent. It's going to be part of your performer, right? It's your support staff, any, any dev talent you have or customer success talent that you have to pay, right? That's part of it. So what, what would you say you can disregard, such as maybe you buy some swag or, you know, let's say you highly need to pay attention to, like you really need to pay attention to, like are there differences between what's important to include in a performer? Yeah, th- there are. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's more about what can you accurately predict? So if you sign a lease for, let's say, two year, a two-year lease for your office space, you can be very accurate with that. You know how much you're going to pay each month. If you have a loan, you know how much you're going to pay each month. So you want to put those, those line items in your pro forma and make sure that they're as accurate as possible because there's no reason to be inaccurate with those, right? If you know you're going to pay uh, $5,000 a month in rent you know that's not going to change um, for the length of the lease. So there's no reason to not put that in. The other things that can be a little bit, um, you know, tougher and fuzzier are things like um, office supplies. So uh, you can you can predict those based off, of, you know, maybe for every person that you hire, you say uh, they're going to spend $25 a month on office supplies. And so that's an easy way to have a reasonable number and a reasonable guess at what your office, office supplies will be. Um, or you can do things like, um, some people say um, like depreciation. So if you're doing depreciation on some asset, um, if it's a, a some piece of equipment, um, then uh, there's there's a bunch of ways to do depreciation. But kind of the simplest way is say, well, this item is going to last five years, um, and so we're going to depreciate at you know that rate over the course of the five years to where it's valueless at the end. Um, so the the bigger the item, the more important it is to, to try to be accurate with it because the bigger impact it has on, on your future. Like I said, if you're off the, you know, if there's a $25 expense um, for office supplies and it actually turns out that it's $26 per person, you know, the, the, the money isn't that important. It's not that big a, a difference, but if you're off on, you know, I had to buy, um, you know, 10, um, you know, chairs for my, my, my medical practice and they're each a thousand dollars being off by $10,000 is a lot worse than being off by 20 bucks or something. So the things that you want to focus on are the things that are large expenses and, um, and then use your, use your best guess for, you know, what do you expect as the costs that are going to carry forward? So rent, um, insurance, a lot of things that you can predict, make sure that you get those right because the, the less you can be off on those, the better off you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think this is probably what we refer to as like fixed versus variable cost, right? Yep. You know, things that you know 100%, like you mentioned the rent, it's not yep. really going to change. Sometimes it may go up depending on <clears throat> what you negotiated in that contract from, you know, year two, year three, you know, but yeah, that normally is going to stay consistent year, month over month. So it's, yep. it's easier to plan that out. It's, it's good stuff. And if you have a contract on something, you should be able to say, okay, on in year two, I'll adjust it up. And so those kind of things are usually usually consistent. There's always something in there. And then I, you know, one more thing kind of on that is in a pro forma, I generally build in um, conservativeness. So um, there's an accounting principle and and kind of falls into finance as well is be, be more conservative um, than you expect to be because things tend to cost more. Um, revenue is harder to get than, than you expect it to be in the future. So build in a buffer for, for, almost every expense that you can that you're not 100% sure of. And then you'll end up being under cost and over revenue if you're, you know, if you're a little bit conservative. So 
just just try to keep that principle in mind when you're either building or um, working with somebody to build your pro, pro forma out. It's just um, it's better to be you know a little under cost and a little over revenue um, in the real world rather than in the the uh, pro forma. Yeah, it definitely is somewhat of a simulation, right? You can yep. sit there and, and put as many numbers uh, as possible. You're going to get this much patience. You're going to get this much revenue, but it's all kind of, it's make-believe. It's make-believe yep. to it. It, it really is. Ends. Yep. So that's just, you know, the more you play around with it and the more, um, you know, more time that goes by after you, you have this thing built, um, the more you'll realize it's a lot of guessing, uh, educated guessing, but guessing and that you need to be prepared for what, what might happen in the real world, not just what you expect to happen because of your, your model or your simulation, because that's all it really is. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we know for most businesses that start early on, they try to, the goal is to be as lean as possible. So that way you hit profitability, you know, as soon as possible. Um, so, you know, a lot of doctors probably are watching this or thinking, well, you know, I really don't understand this. It'd probably be better for me to hire a CPA or hire someone to manage this for me. Um, but again, that could potentially eat at some costs that are, could be really critical for something else. So are there any different type of tools or self-help type things that you recommend? Yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff out there for how to build out um, a financial forecast. And you, you'll hear it called a bunch of different things, a pro forma forecast um, uh, model, a bunch of different things that it could be called. But um, there's lots of things. So there's, there's people that, that build them professionally. That that's kind of one of the things that I did as part of waiter when I was at the company was um, that was kind of my job was to manage the performer, make sure it was accurate going forward. But then you, you can hire freelance people. You can use templates. Um, and I'm going to, I have some resources um, that I'm, that you'll be able to, to see um, at, at, after this talk. Um, and it's a link to a few different pages that, that will be options for you. Um, so you just download this template um, and then you can build off of it and make it kind of fine tune it to your own practice. Um, or you can build your own. So there's lots of resources online. Um, you can like use Skillshare to learn how to, to build models. You can do, um, there's YouTube videos. So if you want to spend the time to learn how to do it, that's, that's fine. Um, but whether you build your model or not, you need to understand how it works and how to make changes to it because the real world is changing constantly and you're going to need to be able to update and um, especially change inputs and different things in, in your pro forma, um, no matter who builds it. So um, if you do hire somebody to build it, make sure they go through and explain it to you and that you can use the tool after they're gone. Um, if it's a you know freelancer or something like that. And there's lots of models and templates out there that you can buy. Some are free. You know, that might be a good way to do it if you don't want to be the person who runs it forever. So I have a question regarding like, you know, some of the pros and cons there, you know, um, you, you touch on something that's really important and, and, and especially when you got to know your numbers. Everyone always says that you need to know your numbers. Right. And so even if you did not build it as the person operating and managing that business, you have to understand and know those numbers. But in a situation where you hand off to like a CPA, you know, um, what, what are the, are there any risks there as far as not knowing your numbers? You know, obviously you would want to establish a, business, a relationship with that person first, right? Yeah. So I, I guess I kind of forgot to answer that part of the question. So if, if you want to hire a CPA, first of all, most CPAs won't create a pro forma for you. 
Uh, most of them will do your books for you. Um, and that's actually not a bad idea. Most CPAs, um, you should build a relationship with them, but they are um, legally bound to basically be honest with you, fiduciary duty, and make sure that they have your best interests in mind. Um, so if you hire a CPA, and a lot of companies do this, especially early on. Um, so each month, if you're going to go close your books, which is just basically close out the month find, um, like in a, from an accounting standpoint, um, you can pay them a, a very reasonable amount. And especially for smaller businesses where closing the books is pretty simple. Um, you can send them some documentation and some, um, some of your expense and give them access to your accounting software and they'll close the books for you. And that's actually not a bad way to do things if you're not an accountant because they'll make um, the right decisions early on to make things a little bit simpler down the road for when you do hire an accounting team, if you choose to do that, like bring it in-house. Um, so that's not a bad way. Most of them, though, don't do financial planning in the sense of creating forecasts for you. Um, usually you need uh, more what's more of a finance person. Um, so if you, and that's, you know, there's freelance people, there's people you can hire full-time to do those kind of things. Um, but there's there's different advantages and disadvantages, like you said. So, you know, we'll, we'll walk through those real quick. Um, the advantage to building your own pro forma is that you'll understand it completely. If you build it, you you made it, you'll understand how it works. You'll, you'll be able to make changes to it. And that's great and, and very helpful. Um, the disadvantage there is if you're not a, a financial expert, then you may make mistakes and it may not be as accurate as it could be. Um, so there's trade-offs for sure. Um, doing a template is is um, kind of the, the con of doing a template is that you, you might have to pay for it. Um, but the, the pro of it is you'll, you'll be able to have a usually more robust, uh, pro forma because the person building it is probably an expert in what they're doing and it should be uh, pretty user-friendly if they're good at what they do. And then hiring like a freelancer or a full-time person to create a pro forma, um, that's, nice because the pro forma should be really good um, and, and well thought out and it should be tuned to exactly what you need. Um, but the con is that it's usually a little bit more expensive because you have to hire somebody to spend their time to build it. I know there's different types of software that you can purchase as an individual and manage itself and then submit that to an accountant, to your CPA, right? Yep. Um, are, are there any type of software that you recommend or have you used personally in the past that you feel it's kind of, you know, a, a good uh, software to kind of purchase or use? Yeah. So my advice to you, to everybody kind of on this, especially early on is keep it simple. Um, I think QuickBooks is pretty good. Um, you know, as you scale up, you may have to switch to a, um, a larger like ERP solution, but for quite a few years and, and you know, if it's a, a normal doctor's practice, QuickBooks will probably do the trick. Um, so that's what I recommend. QuickBooks Online, it's pretty cheap. Um, I think it goes up to like 40 bucks a month at the most. And um, sorry. Uh, and then they also do a lot of added services. So if you want to pay them to do payroll, um, you can do your expense tracking through them. You can do um, pretty much anything. They, they're, they're kind of the industry standard for small, medium business accounting software. And they do a pretty good job. You'll find some things that you you end up kind of pulling some hair out over occasionally because it's it, it kind of it can be annoying at times. But um, I I've had good experience with QuickBooks and I've had um, you know 
overall, I would recommend it, especially if you're trying to keep things simple and you're trying to, as a non-accountant, if you want to use QuickBooks, they do a pretty good job of making it user-friendly. Yeah, no, I agree 100% um, because they've been really in a tech space kind of getting, you know, acquiring other uh, businesses and trying to compete like the gustos of the world and like, you know, uh, the other kind of, like you mentioned, the ERP, you know, ADP, those other different types of companies that exist that are doing these type of uh, automation you know, softwares for accounting. I feel like QuickBooks is starting to get back up there, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think. And, and, and if you're going to open up uh, a whole chain of doctor's offices somewhere and you want to like really expand and become a you know, a, a national brand or something like that, you may eventually have to switch to one at like eight. Uh, SAP or something like that. But honestly, early on it, that's, that's not worth your money and it's not worth your time. Um, stick with something simple. There's a couple other competitors, QuickBooks, but do something simple that has a lot of functionality and that you can uh, easily work with it, your CPA on. Yeah. You know, something that's kind of reemerging, um, it's a, it's a new business model that's called direct primary care. And it's actually, it's been in existence for quite a while, but now you're seeing kind of resurgence of new positions that are interested in this model and it involves a cash subscription service. So now doctors are kind of collecting a subscription fee that it's a flat rate, you know, cash payment from patients that's supposed to be recurring. You know, um, can you talk a little bit about subscription models and unit economics and how that matters when you set up that type of model? Yeah. So um, I'm very familiar with, with kind of how subscription type, type uh, businesses work. So if you're doing a subscription uh, business there, they're actually by investors, they're, they're considered very good business models because it's recurring revenue each month or each quarter, whatever you charge them at. Um, and it's very predictable, which is nice. You, uh, it makes building out your performa and other things very easy to do um, because you know that you're going to collect X dollars from each patient, and that's very nice and easy to um, to count on. So the thing that you're going to need, or there's a lot of things you're going to want to look at as a if you're offering subscription based anything, whether it's software or or um, services. Um, and so you're you're going to want to look at um, your your new new users that you you get each month or new patients that you're going to have each month. You're going to want to look at the old users and how they're churning out. So if they, if you have a bunch of users who are, um, you know, not, you know, canceling their subscription every month, then it's going to be really hard and really expensive for your business to keep generating more revenue. So you're going to want, you're going to have to, to ver- get very familiar with churn um, as well as concepts like um, customer lifetime value and cost to acquire customers. So um, customer lifetime value is how much is one customer worth to your company? So if you have, um, let's just use very simple numbers. A customer pays you hundred dollars a month to be on your subscription base. Um, and the average customer sticks around for, um, let's say two years. Um, so that, that means each customer is worth about $24,000. Um, if I did my math right there, which I think I did. Um, so that means, you have the customer for two years, you're getting a hundred bucks a month um, from them. And then they churn off, which means they, they, they don't come back to you after that month. And so the higher you can get your LTV, the more valuable each customer is. And so there's also another concept called cost to acquire a customer or CAC, C-A-C. Um, and that is how expensive it is to get a new customer. So if your cost or if your 
Um, if you have to spend marketing dollars to bring in a new customer, so let's say each customer costs $1,000 of marketing spend um, to get them into your, your subscription model, then that means you spend $1,000 uh, to get them in, but then they stick around for two years and they're worth $24,000. So that's a great investment. You should spend $1,000 to get as many customers as you can and then they'll pay themselves off in the long run. So those, those are just some very simple concepts about subscriptions um, to keep track of. And um, so to talk about unit economics a little bit, um, unit economics is just the idea of um, anytime you have a product or service, um, how much do you make on one product or on, on um, like one customer versus how much does it cost you to, to um, service that, that customer. So if in a doctor, doctor's office point of view, if somebody's paying you $100 a month and they come visit you once a month, but each visit costs you, um, let's call it $50 uh, because of your administrative costs, the cost of any medicine that you give them, um, anything like that, even, even things down to, um, you know, the, the cost of the paperwork to, to fill that, that your team fills out for them. Um, that all goes against your, your profit margin. So you have $100 in revenue and then you spend $50 just to keep that patient or to, to service that patient. And that means that you have $50 of net profit on each customer that comes in. Um, and d- d- hopefully that was clear, uh, Mario, if, if I need to, to explain that, no. a little, I can, but yeah, I understand. Okay. So the idea is, is um, just make sure, and you have to run some analysis on it and, and having a pro forma can help you do this, but um, you need to make sure that each customer that you're servicing is profitable or, um, or else you'll be losing money in the long run every time you, you offer services to a patient. So you need to figure out early on um, how much does it cost me to treat a patient? How much am I getting from each patient? And make sure that the math works out that you're actually making money. And a lot of businesses make this mistake where, and I'm sure you've heard about them all in the news um, at some point, but where they're they're actually losing money on each patient or on each user um, as opposed to making money. And so as they scale up and get larger and larger and have more customers, they actually become less profitable, which is the opposite of what should happen. You should get leverage as you grow and that you should be more profitable as you grow. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those, uh, you know, what, what I think I hear people say, spend a dollar, but collect 90 cents or something like that. You know, it's one of those things and it doesn't scale, you know, because it's kind of what you people have done in the past, kind of like little growth hacks that just didn't scale correctly. And that's why those businesses ultimately failed, right? Yep. And, you know, same, same business model here that, you know, doctors are looking into to try to maximize the returns again, because it's predictable, but um, you have to focus on churn. And just to kind of uh, mention, what what exactly is churn? Yeah, so um, so churn is just what percentage of your customers do you lose each month or year or however you want to look at. You can look at churn over one day, over one month, one year, a decade, whatever you want. But generally, a month is a pretty good way of looking at it, or um, a quarter even. So. Um, let's say you have 10, 10 subscription customers um, in this month, and then next month, um, two of them drop off and you only have eight the next month. Um, that's really bad for you because you spent $1,000, let's say, to, to get those users to sign up, and then they, they churn out after one month. 
Um, and that means if you went from 10 and you lost two, then you lost, you had 20% churn from month to month. Um, and hopefully that never happens to you, but there will always be some churn because people find, move away from your um, practice area or they, you know, it had a bad experience and they want to try a different doctor. So your job is going to be, how do you make those patients really happy and love your, your subscription um, so much that they never churn um, or they don't churn for many, many years and they become a very profitable, um, a very profitable patient for you. So churn is going to be, um, if, if the industry starts moving tor more towards subscription, then there's no doubt that churn will become a more and more common um, concept in the, the medical world because um, anytime you have a SaaS or a subscription or um, yeah, a subscription, then the cost of keeping a customer is generally lower than the co cost of getting a new one. And so this, this churn number will become one of your most important KPIs or key performance indicators um, for your firm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I know you, you, you know, we're kind of uh, the knee jerk response is SAS, you know, cause again, this is similar to what software is and how, uh, you know, companies sell their, their software services. And, and when doctors are looking at switching from a fee for service or a value-based care. Those are the different business models that focus on reimbursement from carriers to now subscription. That's a cash, uh, cash model, you know, uh, specific. You're now adopting these subscription models, right? You're adopting these type of the ways that tech businesses sell software. And you have to understand the model of that patient, how they're going to pay you as a customer, as, as a consumer of your medical practice, you know, what you're offering. So um, a couple of other things that, you know, I feel doctors sometimes don't factor in when looking at their pro forma or even their pricing is that maybe they start off at $100, right? And that $100 is just them. They're the ones that are managing the business, but maybe they need to hire another staff member. So a couple of questions regarding what do you do with pricing? Do you increase pricing to be able to hire that person? You know, how do you forecast that you're going to be able to afford it over time? Yeah. So that's a great, a great point that people mess up a lot in all industries, actually. So um, what you're going to need to do, or there's a lot of things you can do to, to kind of help, help yourself here. Uh, but the, the, the first thing you want to do is probably talk to your other doctor friends and to other people in the industry to understand how they look at costs for their um, for their uh, firms, and, and and try to to get an understanding of um, it's it's generally easy to relate it relate the cost of let's say you're hiring um, uh, uh, like somebody to, to sit up front for you and do some paperwork and help um, greet the customers and things like that. Um, so maybe you don't need one of those people at first because you're going to do it all, but you do need somebody to do that eventually, and so the way I like to, to forecast positions like that, 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 you know, are going to come down eventually is look at them in comparison to another thing. So let's say, um, you have, once you get to a hundred customers, then, you know, you're going to need somebody to greet them up front and you know, you're going to need help with paperwork and all these things. So you can build that into your pro forma that once you get X number of customers, a hundred in this case, that you're going to automatically hire a front desk person. And so, um, and, and maybe a hundred isn't the right number, but that's why you want to talk to other industry people to, is to get an idea of when they needed to hire that person. Um, 
And so the same thing goes for other um, doctors that you want to have. It's, it's, you know, that you can do this for any position that you're hiring um, is say, you know, I, I, once I get to X number, uh, X dollars in revenue or X number of patients or whatever it may be, you have to find the right factors to, to do this with, but um, then you can automatically add that in. And that way um, you can easily scale up the costs uh, that you're going to have to actually scale up in reality. So um, don't don't get caught off guard by by thinking, well, I'm going to do marketing for the firm. I'm going to do the paperwork. I'm going to do all of the physician work um, because you can't do it all, especially once you scale up a little bit. So build those costs in. Um, and, and before you start, you, you want to understand or have at least a decent understanding of what do other people in the industry do? When do they hire? What are their most common expenses? And, and that will help you you build that stuff out without over making, um, you know, overlooking the major, major costs. Now, what will happen is you'll miss something. Uh, it's inevitable that you, you won't see some costs and that's why you build buffers in, um, to make sure that if you do miss, uh, miss out on something that you, or you, 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 you know, don't have the foresight for something that you have some buffers built in, uh, and that you can, you know, have enough runway or enough leeway to, to adjust and, and do what you need to do. You know, something that's common in SaaS is grandfathering of pricing, right? Mm. So, you know, you set that specific benchmark that you know you want to get to, right? Maybe that's where it meets your benchmark is net or maybe it's, you know, slightly cash positive. Um, And then you, what's, talk me through the process of grandfathering and then how to transition to a higher price point. Yeah. So let me go back because I didn't answer your question about pricing originally. But um, so you want to build your pricing model to account for all of those future costs as well before you start. So it may feel like, oh, I'm getting a lot of money um, for each patient at first, um, but you're not really factoring the true cost of patients. So founders of companies, a lot of times discount their time. So they say, I'm going to do the marketing, right? And I'm going to do the paperwork. um, But what they're, they're not, they're just, they're not assuming that eventually they're going to have to pay the real um, real wages to somebody that to really do those jobs. And so they, that's how you get behind. So try to factor that into your pricing early, but um, inevitably you, you will have to change prices at some point, at least for some of your services. So the way there's a lot of ways to do that. There's a lot of philosophies and, and everyone kind of has their own feelings about these things. Um, and so my opinion on them is, is um, if you're not losing, um, you know, if you're if you're making some money on on your current patients and you can grandfather them in, then um, that's a nice thing to do for them, or even delay their their um, increase in cost. So maybe you say for the next year you're grandfathered in, but then we're going to slowly raise your prices to the the current prices that we're going to be offering. Um, and just basically you're trying to make them feel a little special for, for taking a chance on you and being an early customer of yours. Um, there's a lot of psychology there. Um, some people just say, nope, we're brute forced changing everyone's prices and you'll, we're going to upset some people and some people are going to leave, but ultimately it's the right thing for the business. And there's a, there's pretty good logic. You know, you can definitely make a good logical case for that. So really you're going to have to, um, talk to your customers uh, and try to get a feel for how people are going to feel. Are they really going to leave? Are they going to be a little upset, but still stick around? Are they going to be so, um, so upset that they're just, you know, they're going to go bash you on the streets and leave bad reviews and, you know, all of this stuff. So 
there's a, it's a definitely a company by company and product by product problem. Um, so that's why you want to try to avoid it for as long as possible or avoid, um, you know, undercharging, especially early on, um, cause it's very tempting to undercharge so you can get customers and grow your business, but, um, you will eventually have to pay the, pay the Pied Piper here. Um, so price responsibly early, do the right thing for your customers, be aware that they are your customers. And, um, but also don't be so afraid that you lose your business over not wanting to upset some people because they're always, nobody wants to pay more, but you have, you have a responsibility to yourself and your employees to, to keep, keep yourself in business and charge a reasonable price. You mentioned something that I think it's really important to kind of touch on. Uh, again, it's the undercutting yourself. You're right. You're, you're pricing yourself low because you're thinking if it's low, I'm going to acquire more people and more people is at least some type of revenue in. Right. Yep. But you know, if you're undercutting, it's, it's the whole giving away a dollar, getting back 90 cents thing. Right. It's like, you, you already know that the, the, there's, that's not the real value. Right. You know? And so you could potentially harm yourself in the long run. And a lot of companies do. It's very common. So just be aware of that. You don't want to gouge anybody on pricing. You don't want to make them feel like they're giving you more than they're getting from a value perspective, but you do need to, to make sure that, and it all comes down to unit economics. So when, if you do an analysis on your, your unit economics and you, you find out you can charge this much and still afford to stay in business and still have a profit and still pay your people. Um, and you're happy with that number, then, you know, everything is good. There's no reason to raise prices if you don't want to. Um, but if you do the analysis and you're losing money on each patient every month, then there's no choice really. Um, it, it's going to hurt. And, and we went through this at, at my company. Um, you know, we had long battles internally. Um, how do we raise prices? We're going to make everybody mad, but ultimately you have to do the right thing for the business or, um, every, you know, you'll go out of business eventually if you're, if you're not making money. So that's the, the simple reality, um, to a very painful problem. Is there a middle ground? You know, I see a lot of people that start businesses that want to maybe have a lower tier model. So they offer multiple tiers, you know, to help kind of get the middle ground, you know, so they're able to say, Hey, look, you know, this is where we're going to start off, but this is really where we want to be and hope that most people pick the most expensive option. Yeah. Yeah. So typically um, you kind of the, the, at least right now, the, the uh, common practice there is put one really low price thing, put one really high price thing, and then hopefully they pick the middle thing. Um, and, and you're happy, you know, you make that price to, you know, where you're happy. Um, there's a lot of strategies around that. Um, pricing strategy is a whole, you know, you can write like PhD thesis on pricing strategies, but um, the, the key is make sure that you um, you're making enough on each sale and that if you're not, let's say you go with for a lower priced, you know, you have three tiers, one's at $50 a month, $100 a month and $150 a month. And you're actually losing money at the $50 a month one because it's, it's, it's not a good price actually for you. Um, that's not always a bad thing because if you have people at the $50 tier and you can upsell them to the $100 or $150 tier, then that's still valuable. Even if you're losing a little bit of money in the current or you know, this month, um, you know, and it takes a few months from now, they convert up to $100 a month. 
then that's still a very valuable customer and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So taking into account what the customer is going to do in the future, are they going to churn or are they going to upgrade? And if a lot of them are upgrading, then it's not a bad idea to offer a cheaper service to get them in the door and then upsell them. And you see this with a lot of software companies. Um, if you've ever used Dropbox, they, they offer you the free version. They give you some amount of storage for free. And then if you want to do more, um, then they upsell you to paying them some every month. And it's very profitable for, for some businesses and doesn't work out so well for others. But um, there's a lot of research around what, what businesses should do, like a free tier or a low cost tier versus uh, not doing that. So um, I recommend reading some articles and there's a lot of great stuff out there on that. I agree. There is excellent articles on that, you know, and something that I researched myself for, for, you know, doc space and, and, you know, but I, I feel like sometimes adding additional pricing tiers can complicate the forecasting, right? Cause now, you know, you don't, you're, you're hoping someone, you know, pays more of your middle area, but they, you know, you what happens if you get the opposite and everyone's buying the cheap option? You're like, oh no, you know, I didn't want to yep. buy that. Yeah, that can happen. Um, the, the real world is super messy and forecasts are not usually that messy. So um, you, you, you have to be ready to adjust. And if you make a mistake on pricing and you, you charge, you know, really cheap and everyone goes to your really cheap plan, um, that could get you in a situation where you have to um, raise prices. And, and that's the reality of taking a risk. Um, so as much as you want to avoid those painful, painful times where you're raising prices and, and making customers mad, um, the truth is like, that's the real world. And, and you can't, you can't predict what everyone's going to do. Um, now with your pro formas, you can make them, um, you know, flexible enough to easily change what ratio of people are going to go for the the high tier plan and the mid tier plan and the low tier plan. So um, it's it on the, the kind of the technical side of actually creating a pro forma, that's not too complicated, but it is a big deal if you're planning everybody to pay you a hundred bucks a month and really they only pay you 50 bucks. That's a big deal. And you, you might have to adjust in the real world, um, you know, adjust your pricing or, um, you know, maybe do better job at marketing the middle tier plan or something. You, you have to make adjustments and that's just the reality of business. And it's not fun always, but it's, you know, you have to be flexible and, and willing to change and, and change your mind on things. Yeah, no, and I, I absolutely agree. And, and kind of the way that doctors do it now for that direct primary care model is they have plans for like ages or age groups, right? So you have like a, a young kids will have a specific price and then adults, there are single adults have a single product, like, you know, and the families have, and that changes the dynamics between pricing strategies because now you're putting it on demographics and not allowing, you know, so I think there's some more creative ways that could happen and, and doctors can, you know, specifically try to, you know, experiment there with pricing, but, you know, putting it that way, it kind of just pigeonholes what you can make and what you can charge for what people, right? And, and it, it's, it's a little bit harder to experiment there. Yeah. So basically what they're doing is, is kind of an actuarial study. So like an insurance company, they're just saying that the risk is higher. It's going to be more expensive to treat an elderly person than a kid or a, an adult, a healthy adult. So um, there, there's going to be, I think in the future, there's going to be a lot more around this, especially with kind of the um, statistical analysis and machine learning things that they're going to be able to do a lot of stuff with patient data in the future. That being said, I'm not sure how, how helpful that, that is for 
the current situation, but, but I think that the, like being able to experiment and um, being able to experiment in a way that doesn't piss off all your customers is going to be important. Um, but, you know, there is something to be said for, um, you know, if an elderly person is more expensive, then you charge them a little bit more and everybody pays their kind of their share of, or their riskiness is what you're actually kind of paying for in a medical sense is what are their medical risks and how much are you going to spend on them each month? Um, so I, I think there'll be lots of experimental um, pricing models, especially as the um, subscription model continues to grow, like you're talking about. So, you know, experiment, but try to, Try to do your best not to piss off all your customers all the time. <laughs> that would be my. <laughs> yeah, you know, I we could talk about this all day. Seriously, like you know, I love the strategy, you know, the psychology behind the pricing and just the unique economics. Like, I find it really interesting, and I think there's a lot of creative ways that you could build a business by just strategizing correctly and, and, and you know, using like you said, educated guesses to be able to determine is this going to be a revenue, you know, or profit business, you know? Um, but really I, I appreciate your time and thank you for, you know, adding a lot of information here and giving us, you know, uh, some good, good content really to focus and, and learn how to build a pro forma, you know, let us know, give who you are, where you came from, you know, what your plans are, give these people some background. Yeah. So again, I'm Evan Diaz, DRC. Um, I, I founded or co-founded waiter, uh, and, um, now I'm doing a lot of uh, consulting with with technology companies mostly, um, especially on the finance side of things. So um, if you have any questions about um, finance and, and growing your your business and or analytics and things like that, I'd, I'd love to hear from you and, and help out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love business and I love um, talking about it and, and thinking through um, different ways to grow and different ways to make sure that the business is, is good and stable and uh, has a future. So um, it's just one of the things I love to do and, and, um, enjoyed the talk and thanks for having me on. Thanks, Evan. You have a good day. Okay. You too. Thank you for listening to the DocSpace startup school podcast. Please check us out at startupschool.mydocspace.com for more video lectures and product demos. And don't forget to join the DocSpace startup school community Slack channel to engage with other clinicians going through their journey of starting a medical practice.